Ephesians 5 can wait. It was my first thought as she came in was the dress. I'd forgotten about the dress. And uh, I know, guys, maybe you're not going to think about the dress. It hadn't really crossed my mind. But I looked at her dress and I was lost to words at the dress. And it was as she began to walk down the aisle to me. the abuse it was see the thing is one of the reasons I'm emotional is because I'm an emotional person and I'm, I can't do that can I put this head thing on um, but one of the the other reason that I feel so much emotion and the reason I'm telling this story attempting to tell this story it was as the moment she walked down the aisle it was I felt whew. you see I felt God say to me it was a very audible, booming voice that he gave. <laughs> I felt God say to me, Tom, this is how I love my church. And this whole thing, this whole ceremony, actually, it's not man's idea at all. I'll open my eyes in a minute when I've come to. It's not, it's not man's idea. This is my idea. This is my idea. And marriage is not owned by the world. It's owned by me. It's my design. And it's the church's privilege that things that have been a mystery in history and a mystery still to the world have been revealed to the church. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that? If you've got a weak view, I mean this politely, of salvation, if you think you forgave my sins, I'm clear. <laughs> Judgment day comes, I'm alright. If that's the end of your experience of being a believer, I tell you, you are, you have not even begun to enter into the extravagant riches of mercy that he has for your life. Do you know that? It's not been. The cross was a once and for all sacrifice, effective for all time, not that you would simply be forgiven, but that you would become part of his body his church, and as we will find as we now turn to Ephesians 5, his bride. Great, so let's turn to Ephesians 5. Excellent, so marriage, um, back to the Bible, I'm okay. So marriage, uh, we will come to Genesis 2.24 as we get to the, the, the latter stages of Ephesians 5, but marriage has been from the very beginning God's intention for us, okay? It wasn't our idea, God created Adam and then he looked at Adam, a relational God, looked at Adam and said, he's not complete. <laughs> he's going to have serious issues. Adam obviously didn't realize these issues himself. He wasn't petitioning God, give me a wife, I feel incomplete. I need to experience some, you know, some sacrificial love. I need to give some sacrificial love to be complete as a man. Please give me a wife. That obviously didn't cross Adam's mind. He was just getting on with it, doing the stuff. And God said, okay, you're not complete. You need a wife. <laughs> you need Eve. So you know the story. So it began in Genesis 2, and then the whole Bible is then filled with a story. Um, uses the, the imagery of marriage as, as God loves the church. Crikey, that's scary, isn't it, behind me? Sorry. Um, uh, and it, the Bible talks all the way through. I definitely haven't, don't have time to do it now. Of how Christ has pursued his church as a bride. And actually... Sadly, but we need to know this, that the, the Bible is full of stories of, of, of Israel first 
being an unfaithful bride to God, of not being obedient to God, of, of flirting with other lovers, not just flirting, but, but being adulterous in their relationship. And some of the words God uses, we would, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not sure, I'm glad I don't have to read some of those passages out this morning, they're shocking. But this theme of marriage is throughout the whole of the Old Testament with God pursuing his church. You see, my wedding day, marriage is my design. It is a representation of how I love my church. And the whole of the Bible is filled with this story of how Christ has pursued his church and how the church has been unfaithful and then how God has then said, no, I will not let you down. We heard that amazing reading this morning from Becky. I will not let them down. I will not uh, just punish them. They are my bride. I'm going to have them. Didn't use the word bride in there, but there was some of that kind of language in. So the, whole, the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, where the whole picture of Revelation 19 to 21, it talks and gives this incredible imagery of the bride and the groom coming together in the supper of the Lamb. This incredible consummation. <laughs> Similar language, yeah? This incredible consummation of the two coming together. It's amazing. So marriage is God's idea. It's his design. But as we turn to Ephesians 5, and I'm just going to read 22 probably to 33, we'll find there are two new things in here I would propose to you this morning that God has given us a revelation of. So Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water, the word that he might present to himself the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife, he loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. Then it quotes Genesis. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. I'm going to finish there. So, uh, you know, my prayer, my, my hope, to be honest, in God over the next 20 or so minutes is that God would just lift our eyes a bit. Especially to husbands, I submit to you, we need to lift our eyes and, and remember again, what is marriage? What is this about? And what am I called to be as a husband? So, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, if I was to ask you what your, your first reaction to that passage is, many of you would have heard it a lot of times, you've been to the weddings. You know, I think you can get a kind of a, a warm glow from a passage like that. Yeah, as Christ loved the church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you, I'll take care of you, you can give me dinner, you can wash the clothes, I'll take care of you though. You know, in an emotional level. But actually, (laughs) I'm not being serious about that that brief monologue. What what I found as I studied this passage again is that my my warm glow has been replaced for the time being by, and it's tempered with grace, more of a cold sweat. (laughs) Because when you think 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What's he saying? (laughs) What's he saying? Die for her. Die for her. As Christ loved the church, you give your life for her. Do we do that? Is that our understanding? (laughs) I just don't think it is so much of the time. I think it's a challenge to have a biblical view of this stuff. Is that our view of marriage? Is that what it's gripped you? Similar language that we get from Ephesians 5.2 where it says, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Now John Stott says this of that, of that passage. He says, Certainly the words Christ loved the church, proceeding as they do, his self-sacrifice on her behalf, seem to look back to his eternal pre-existence in which he set his love on his people. That reading from Becky so, so true here, and determined to come and save them. So having loved the church, he gave himself up for her. The reference is, of course, primarily to the cross. 1 John 3.22 says this, We know love by this, that he laid down, he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, the example that we have got in Christ, it just rocks everything. (laughs) Everything changes. Everything changes. What does love mean in Ephesians 5.25? What does it mean in Ephesians 5.2? What does this love mean? Well, it means sacrifice. (laughs) That's what it means. It means sacrifice. Let me give you a story. Yeah, it's a good one. Seven years into our marriage, I won't get emotional on this one. It shows me in a bad light. I feel less emotional about it. Seven years into our marriage, we were sat in our lounge and I was talking with a wise friend. We'd recently arrived from Winchester. I'd come from a church where I was doing stuff and I was doing less stuff here. I was trying to work out how I felt about this and make new friends. It was tough. I felt lots of murky stuff being revealed in me. <laughs> And my friend sat there and he listened to me and then he looked at me and he said, look, I'll tell you what I think God's saying to you. I think he's saying he wants you to love your wife. See, the initial response as a husband, (laughs) like me, some of you probably won't be, some of you will find it difficult to associate with me after this. But if you're anything like me, when you hear those words, gut reaction at the time, processing everything that's going on, you think, I do love my wife, but I want to do stuff. <laughs> of course I love her, but you know, I'm a guy. I want to make, I want to make things happen. And uh, you know, as you dwell on this verse, you realise there's, there's not much more in one sense to be made happen. If there's a husband, you're not gripped by how Christ loves you. If you're not so preoccupied with that, that really it sidetracks you from everything else for starters and then you can get words of faith and vision then consider church planting then consider praying for the sick then consider leading your wife but if you don't get up in the morning and are apprehended again by verse 25 that this is how God loves you he died for you if you receive that love well anyway my friend was wise and, uh, you know, I just started thinking, I need to think about her. I need to start thinking so much 
about me, subconsciously, you know, on the surface I seem like a probably a relatively nice guy. But underneath, that's what's guiding my decisions. I want to do stuff, I want to make stuff happen. Well, I needed to think about her. So just a real practical thing. So considering Marianne's needs. We love being here in Winchester. We loved it when we moved here. Our house needed decorating, though. So on my salary at the time, we didn't have enough money to do that. So after a period, I chose to contract, right? Just really practical thing. I chose to contract. It's high risk. Contractors know that here. It's high risk. A little bit more money. And, and so what did we do? We, we decorated the house. Right? We decorated the house. Well, we've almost finished decorating the house now. Marianne quite likes the house. She's got a nice kitchen. And uh, I like the kitchen too. It's not just for her. I'm not saying that. Um, but I tell you, as Christ loved the church, he made a sacrifice for love. And verse 25 means sacrifice, right? It might be a pitiful example. But how I thought, how, well, what does sacrifice mean for us? She wants a nice, a nice house. We want a nice house. I'm hardly ever there because I'm at work. She's there all the time. Maybe I need to find a way to give her a nice house. Maybe that would be more approximating this kind of love. And so when we have a cuddle in our kitchen, it's so much nicer knowing it's a nice kitchen. (laughs) So I just want to think a bit about how we as husbands tend to love our wives. I think that um, I think we've we often hear the world talk about stuff in terms of needs. You know, have you got your needs met? I remember a book, I can't even, I think it was okay actually. There's a book called His Needs, Her Needs. There's lots of books about needs. And, uh, and I think we've all got needs. You know, we all have needs. But it's the wrong starting point, and, and this is why. Okay, we've all got needs. Some are real needs. Some are felt needs. I feel like I've got a need for a nice car, but it's not a real need. It's probably not a wise thing to go after with three, three young boys. You know, we have, we've got weaknesses, we have failures, we go through tough patches. We know very well in this church there are some people going through incredibly, not tough patches, but incredibly challenging, difficult times of life, right? We know that as a body, we're aware of that, we pray for them. But for every one of those, we, we can be confident that there are no unique problems. What I find in my life, as I have found for the last nearly 11 years, that there have been parts I look back to where I realise I've been husbanding my wife on the basis of have my needs been met. That's really the thing that's characterised my response to her. <laughs> you know, whether I'm being kind, whether I'm helping, whether I'm doing, doing stuff. What I'm saying is my giving to her was really determined by what she'd already given to me had she met my needs. When your needs are not being met, as a husband, and you might know phases of life where you've been through times like this, having young children. So, Ben, it's great having you, but it's, it's a hard time, right? It's very demanding. Sleep, remember that? <laughs> Marianne? Sleep. Oh. Anyway, sleep. So, what was I saying? Um, it's a hard time, but you look back, I look back, and I think there have been times where I began to make excuses for not loving my wife, not really considering sacrifice my life, because my needs weren't being met. That's what was going on underneath, right? Well, it's good just to get back to being biblical, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 10 says that there's no trial 
which has overtaken you except that which has come to man. There are no needs or unmet needs you will experience which would justify you not loving your wife on the basis that you can start to think things which are not loving to her. You can start to engage in friendships, conversations, relationships which are not exhibiting love to her. You can start looking at stuff which is not honouring to your wife. We can think of all kinds of things, all kinds of ways which we might not love our wife and choose to love other things. And we might justify that on, on some kind of basis, that my needs are not being there. This is not fair. It's been too long. This is too hard. I don't like this. Well, none of them are justifiable. That's what the word says. No troll has overtaken you except that which has come to man and God offers a way out for each of us. So the issue isn't needs. Okay, the issue is the fact that you're sinful. <laughs> okay? I just want to, I want to connect with guys who are in this position right now. Okay, you're going through a tough time and you, you get to a place where you think, my needs aren't being met. Just drift away a bit. And you begin to justify all kinds of things, all kinds of scenarios in your head. And I just want to submit to you, the issue is not your needs, the issue is that you're sinful. (laughs) C.J. Mahaney um, said this, the message of the Bible is as fresh today as it was always. Sinful men who disobey the law of God still find that God's message of forgiveness in Scripture is the only answer to this life's most fundamental problem. You see, Ephesians 5.25 is what husbands need to hear. Not whether their needs are being met by their wives, but how far their deepest need to experience God's free love for them has already been met at the cross. World and marriage. Well, how does the world view marriage? How does the world view marriage? Does it view marriage? Does it just view relationships? We were listening to the radio in our kitchen yesterday and uh, we had Enrico Iglesias on. Anyone, anyone know Enrico Iglesias? No. He's a young one. Anyway, there's this line in this song. And it's, it's, this line is, I'm taking back my love. I'm taking back my love. I don't love you anymore. I'm going to take back my love. And I think that actually, it's, you know, it's a silly song. It's not, not necessarily even the good song. But it does talk about this world's expectation that relationships and your commitment to relationship is based on the idea of an exchange. And if your needs aren't met, then, um, well, you take back your love. You take it back, okay? Well, it's not working. <laughs> this worldview is not working, right? The, uh, this worldview is not based on... There are two words in this... In the, there, are more, there are probably four words for love. I'm sure John would tell us lots of different words for love. But there are two important words for love for us to have a look at here. One is eros, which you might know. There's a word related to it. Erotic. And the, there's another word called agape, which is about God's sacrificial love. Now, I think that actually the, what the world's view of relationships and marriage tends to be primarily characterized by this obsession with eros. And it's this kind of um, it's, it's well, I tell you what, with that agape, it's just immature and it's very, very shallow and it does not reap the kinds of um, love, uh, the kind of experience that people want. Here's a, here's a quote from John Piper, which I found quite helpful on this. He said, Mature masculinity will not be reduced to raw desire 
and sexual relations. It remains alert to the deeper personal needs of a woman and mingles strength and tenderness to make her joy complete. Masculine leadership finds expression in the firmness of his grasp, the strength of taking her in his arms, and the sustaining of verbal adoration. And that's lovely, isn't it? All the wives seem more enthusiastic at this point than the guys. That's lovely, but there's, a, there's an understanding that you start with, as Christ loved the church, that's how you, how you start by loving your wife. And then you, this other thing develops out of that. See, when you say your vows on your wedding day, uh, coming back to the wedding ceremony as, as owned by God, when you say those vows, what do you say? You say things like, and I should have written them down, shouldn't I? I can't remember them all. But it says things like, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Anyone else remember any, Peter? Till death, better or worse? Till death us departs, right. There's this idea of, we have this idea of, you give me something, I'll give you something back. When you say your vows, you say, listen, richer or poorer? I'm going to love you. Better or worse, I'm going to love you. Sickness and health, I am going to love you. I'm making a covenant with you. I will love you. That's the kind of love that Christ has for his church. I asked my uh, mum and dad for any tips on marriage. They're going to talk about marriage. 43 years, I mean, you need to ask, don't you? And uh, my dad came back with a a quote, which I I think I remember him showing before. He, on their... I don't know if it was the day before their wedding, then they sat down with the vicar in part of their preparation. He said one thing to my dad. He said, listen, listen, listen to this. Just think not of yourself. Think not of yourself. And, uh, wow. Let's read Ephesians 5.25. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. See... Christ didn't think of himself, and this is our model. He he looked for the inheritance that was set before him, and he acted in obedience to his Father, and he took our place and died for us on the cross. See, this is that's our example, isn't it, husbands? It's our example in how we're to love our wives. And uh, if that's a bit scary, I said I hope it's a breakdown and a bit of a cold sweat. Then the point is, we as husbands have been designed for this. This is how you've been made. This is God's design. I mean, I've read, I haven't gone through the the opening three verses of Ephesians 5, where I went to Psalm 22. But where God has designed an order, where He said, For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, this is God's design for you. And he'll give you grace to do this. He will give you grace to do it, okay? Not you and not the world, but he will give you the grace to love your wife as Christ of the church. He will. So are you receiving his grace? Are you? We hear these passages of love in worship. And uh, when I sing these kinds of things, what happens to me is the Holy Spirit just begins to fill me up. And I get revelation of how God loves me. And I feel like I'm ready to go there. I'm ready to go. Okay, let's go and do it. Whatever it is, we can do it. We're God's people. He loves us.
And you want a church plant? <laughs> if you want to see this place full, I would submit if you want to see more charismatic worship, if you want to see more healing, I would say to you, are you completely convinced of the depth of God's love for you? Do you understand that God loves you in this, that he gave his one and only son? Is, is, have you got that revelation? Have you understood that? As husbands, before you start trying to get the breakfast ready in the morning and get out the door to work and all of the pressures of life, have you become a means of grace for your family where you have understood God's compelling love for you? Because I just don't think we can do it unless we receive that. I think this is the great revelation that God has given us, that this is his love for us. It's not a love that expects reciprocation. It's a love that freely gives. It's an agape love. We wouldn't know what this love is except for the cross. There is no other example. I have another great quote for you. Slightly slicker moving of paper, isn't it, with me? But I want to read this quote to you. This is from a guy called Liam Morris. It says this, It's only as we see the spotless Son of God crucified, John is saying, that we understand. (laughs) It is not a love given to the worthy that those God charitably assumes to be worthy. It is lavished on sinners. Then we see man for what he is, the wrath of God for what it is, and the cross for what it is. Then and only then do we see love for what it is. He continues, it is the cross that brought a new dimension to religion that gives us a new understanding of love. The New Testament writers saw everything in its light, finding their ideas about love revolutionized by what the cross meant. See, what we are saviour on the cross is he passed through Gethsemane as he was before his father with a, a, a job to do as he's sweating, as his friends are falling asleep is he looking to his own needs is he being shaped by me and what I'm finding tough and what I need to happen or is he on his knees before his father saying, God, Father please, please find a way to take this from me I don't want this and then he goes back and he says, Father if this is your cup and I'm going to bear it and he's rejected by his friends and he he continues this historical pursuit that we read through scripture to have a people for himself not that we loved him not that we wanted him but he loved us that he chose us so as he's whipped as his friends deny him as he's lifted up on the cross see what does he say what does our saviour say they spit at him and they mock him and what does he say he looks at them and <laughs> it's just staggering he says father forgive them <laughs> so they know not what they do see husbands this is our example if you want to talk about headship in your home you better get before the cross 
Okay? <laughs> if you want to talk about headship in your home, get before the cross and find out what Paul is saying. As Christ died for us, this is how we are to love our wives. I'm going to end with this. Christ's leadership, Christ raised up on the cross. Oh, as husbands, does it give us a model where we force, (laughs) if you can, if you force your wife to submit to you? Have you ever tried doing that? It's very unfruitful in every kind of respect. (laughs) Is that what it does? Is that what we find in Christ? Is that the kind of home you've got? I'm sure none of you have. But if you're tempted at times, like me, when you're really tired and you just want to take the easy option, you just want to just fly off the handle for a minute, (laughs) let the tension out. That's, we, we just have no excuse. There is no reason that does not demonstrate to the world this great mystery, which I'm now not going to get to verse 13. John Piper, again, he's just good, so that's why I'm quoting him. He says this, this is biblical headship. In a home with a husband leading like Christ and a wife responding like Christ's bride, there is a harmony and a mutuality that is more beautiful and satisfying than any of pattern of marriage created by man. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But it's, only, it's, it's not a possibility unless you as a husband receive revelation yourself of how God loves you. You can't force your wife to submit to you. <laughs> I just don't think that's biblical. You know, it's just not in there. But what I have slowly and growing to understand um, in, in, the, in God's grace that is that as I love my wife um, you know what she just responds to me differently I just find she um, I'm not looking at her now <laughs> but she responds to me differently it's such a different response isn't it to when you try and force something to happen when your life is characterised by loving your wife like this it's just very different is very different. Are you a dominating presence in your home? Is that how you have understood leadership? Is that maybe that's the example that's been set to you as a man? To be the man of the house, dominate that house. Other people are a bit nervous around you in that house. I think it's it's more appropriate to as a, as a head not to dominate, not to presume superiority. Again, Piper says this, no man is superior to those who lead in every respect. There's a lesson for men in work there. Surrounded by much brighter people, he will listen and respond. Unilateral decision making is not usually a mark of good leadership. It generally comes from laziness <laughs> or insecurity or inconsiderate disregard. See, the flip side of that, husbands, is that we need to learn to and love our wives as Christ loved the church. Love them, pursue them, pray for them, honour them, engage them, talk to them. Talk. Talk's very important, isn't it? Talk to your wife. 
about key decisions. Verbalize it. You know, I can go into my... It's less into my shell. I just kind of go into a problem-solving mode and I can just go and not talk about things for ages. And I've learned, actually, it's really important. And it's not just important because it's a good thing. It's, It's important because she often has better ideas than me. And she can see solutions to stuff that I can't see, that she's got wisdom about just how much stuff I should be doing and when I need to do less stuff. So here are some tips. Only one or two of them are from me. (laughs) The question is, what are we doing for our wives, husbands, that involves sacrifice? What are we doing that people would look on and say, that begins, that's looking a little bit like Christ of the church. That's the question for you. Now the kitchen's a good example to put out the locker, but I've had three years to do that, so don't feel bad about the kitchen thing. Maybe it's just making coffee in the morning. I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to go there. But husbands, what are we doing every day that involves sacrifice for our wives? You want to be a real man? It's a good thing to think about. Here are some tips from, from, from older people, more experienced. Actually, they're from my dad. <laughs> some of them are. I asked him for tips. He said this. I mean, they're just good nuggets, aren't they? He said, I found it helpful to consider things from mum's point of view before making decisions. It's a good one, isn't it? You think about things from your wife's perspective before you make decisions. Do you make time to think about key decisions from your wife's perspective before making decisions? That's maybe more important. When you've got families, when you've got children, you're so busy, you can just make decision after decision. Have you created time to think, how is my wife? What's she going to think of this? And then have you engaged in conversation about it to find out whether she does think of that? Here's one from me. I'm inspired by C.J. Mahaney. I'm inspired by him in a lot of ways. He's a preacher in America. He's come to some of the Bible weeks we've done. This guy has a book on his wife. This is a great one. He's got a book on his wife. He's got a book on her sizes. He's got a book on the clothes that she likes. He's got a book on the food that she likes. He's got a book on recipes. He's got a book on her week, her diary, her schedule. He's not a control freak. Don't read that into what I'm saying. But this guy has got a book on his wife so that he knows her, he cares about her, he is attentive to detail. This is, I think, more sacrificial. He's thinking of her. He's thinking about pursuing her. Now, why is, do you like a husband like that? Do you like a husband that's thinking of you like this? Do you like a husband who's got a book? He knows what size you are, he knows what styles you like, he knows what you want to be prayed for. I heard some laughter. Is this not realistic? I like shopping for my wife. I like shopping for her. I know what clothes catch my eye when I go to shop for her. And then I look at the department that she would like some clothes from. Keep a book on your wife. Or just make notes of what, what she's into. Love her. Cherish her. We want to honour marriage. Okay? We want to honour marriage as a church. We want to honour marriage because it's not man's idea. I've not even talked really about how the world sees this. But the world, in so many respects, sees it wrong. We have a responsibility and a privilege of the church to get back to the correct doctrine of what marriage is. And as husbands, to spend time understanding how Christ loves you, how Christ loves the church, and then understand your responsibility before your wife to love her and to cherish her and to pursue her and forsaking all others love her only. Okay? It's our privilege. This is our revelation. As Paul says, marriage, as described in Genesis, 
was a mystery. It was a mystery. And that, in the Jewish sense, meant it was a partially revealed thing. But what Paul comes to at the end of Ephesians 5 is he says, this is a mystery revealed. Marriage is a mystery revealed. I'm not talking about you and your wife. I'm talking about Christ and the church. This whole thing, this whole way of relating, this whole way of husbands loving their wives, this is a way that the world will look on and see this is how Christ loves the church.